This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Broadcast recently had a hangout with Mike Frisby where we were talking about prayer and mission and in this episode of the podcast we're bringing you the recording of that hangout. You can find the full notes on everything that Mike had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 92. So here is Mike Frisby. I've spent a lot of my life uh, actually helping folk uh, going overseas uh, to church plant in various countries and also had the wonderful opportunity of actually being overseas and uh, teaching in various leadership capacities in different nations around the world. I think I've been probably to about 27 nations now, which has been great. And so on the way, uh, obviously picked up things about prayer because that's uh, very much at the heart uh, of mission, if mission's going to succeed. And I guess that I want to start uh, firstly uh, by saying today that um, in the Gulf War, uh, the time of the Iraq War particularly, um, we're told that it took 20 support personnel uh, to keep one soldier fighting on the battlefield, which is some indication really of the importance of the support task. And for us today in God's kingdom, obviously we're involved in a spiritual warfare uh, to make disciples of all nations, to see people from every people group uh, across the earth uh, come into faith in Christ. And uh, therefore, it's equally just as important that those that are working uh, out in mission around the world are supported uh, as they work cross-culturally. Now, of course, support is not a biblical word, and uh, probably the nearest uh, indication that we have, which will kind of say what that is, is the word partnership. And uh, especially tonight, I want to talk about partnership in prayer and how that affects mission. You remember Paul when he uh, wrote to the Philippians uh, in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And it's quite obvious when you read through the whole of the book of Philippians uh, that Paul saw the love and the prayers and indeed the, the frequent financial gifts that the Philippians sent to him as an essential contribution to the advance of his apostolic mission across the world. And so, first off, I'd like to make uh, five quick points about the importance of the local church in getting behind those that are sent out into mission, and particularly from uh, a prayer angle. First point I want to make is that the advance of the gospel worldwide uh, needs the prayer support of the local church. It's an indispensable element rather than an optional extra. And it's important we we get hold of that right from the beginning. Second point is that I do believe that the prayer for those that are out working in mission across the world uh, should actually be the concern and activity of the whole church. Uh, Prayer for those working overseas shouldn't be the, uh, the forte of leaders or a few folks in the church that are keen on world mission or close friends or family, it should really be the whole church uh, that is getting behind those that have gone in prayer. 
The third point that comes out of that really is therefore it needs to be approached with a due sense of care and commitment and responsibility. Uh, it should be given priority, I believe, and uh, time and resources within the life of the local church. And as with any other area of church life, of course, it requires good leadership. Fourth point, which I think is one that uh, I, when I'm traveling around, I find very often uh, is missing actually in a number of local churches, is that the local church must maintain an atmosphere of world mission. Otherwise, prayer support will die or it will become uh, ineffective. Uh, when the prophet Isaiah wrote in uh, chapter 49, verse 6, you remember that he, he was saying to Israel, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, it's interesting that sometimes people think, well, uh, you know, world mission really started, uh, you know, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. That's when things really got going. But actually, right the way through the Old Testament, uh, we see that actually the nations were upon God's heart. And uh, if I had time, I'd love to take you uh, from Genesis to Revelation to just demonstrate that to you, that time and time again in the Old Testament, we see God speaking about the nations and wanting his glory uh, to be seen among the nations. And it's interesting, actually, that uh, one of the psalms that was usually sung on the way to the temple, and particularly at festival time, was Psalm 67. And in the opening verses of that psalm, uh, the people say, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Now, that, of course, sounds very much like the old Abrahamic uh, promise that was given to Abraham, where God said to him, I will bless you, make you a blessing, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Israel often prayed that. So the nations was very much built into the fabric and life uh, of Israel right the way through. And I do believe that if people are going to really get behind those who are out in mission in the world, and pray for them, then the local church has to maintain an atmosphere of world mission. It's important to keep that big picture uh, before God's people. Now, of course, there are a number of ways that you can do that, and I can't give an exhaustive list, but um, one of the ways, obviously, is through Sunday congregational teaching. It's very important that uh, when we gather as God's people together, that uh, actually they are exposed to teaching about the importance of reaching the nations. And in my own home church here in City Church in Cambridge, uh, just my last two sermons uh, over the last couple of months, I've actually been teaching on God's heart for the, the nations. And I think, therefore, it's very important in our churches that constantly we, we are around that theme. I believe it's also important that we have regular exposure to apostolic and prophetic input uh, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed when I just joined New Frontiers right at the beginning, uh, many, many moons ago now, was that uh, when Terry used to come and visit us, Terry Virgo, um, often he'd bring stories uh, about what had been happening around the world, what was happening in other churches in different parts of the world. And it really helped uh, the people that I was leading at the time to really get that world vision. And apostles tend to do that. They tend to actually catch us up into that greater world vision. Uh, the Apostle Paul was always looking for regions beyond. 
and was always trying to catch up the local churches in that vision and to partner with him. And so when we get uh, exposure to apostolic men and also prophetic men, because prophetic men uh, are men that often can paint the big canvas, the big picture of God's purposes. And so both apostolic and prophetic input both inspires and also imparts something to us. And I appreciate you can't always have uh, kind of lots of regular visits from apostolic and prophetic men, but there should be occasions uh, where those men come to your ch local church. Uh, but also uh, these days with exposure, with internet and web and so forth, you can often be listening. And uh, that really has an effect on a church's life when people are listening uh, to what God is doing around the world. Also highlighting um, global information uh, in your church uh, gatherings together is an important aspect. I know sometimes when I've been uh, visiting uh, different churches around the world, uh, I've sometimes been uh, quite shocked to find that even though there may be something happening globally in the news, like a terrorist attack or a famine or an earthquake or uh, something even nearer to home of, uh, of great importance, very often it doesn't get a mention uh, in the church service and often it's not prayed for. And therefore, one way you can maintain an atmosphere of world mission uh, and prayer for world mission is actually to pray for those things uh, in your Sunday services or when you gather together in small group. Uh, just highlighting those things actually starts to build into a people uh, the fact that we are all involved on a mission to the world and not just our own communities. And then often something we still do here at Cambridge is that if we're uh, aware that there's a conference on, say, here in the UK, or that folks are, are visiting from churches overseas, we, we try and get hold of them to come and, uh, and preach for us on the Sunday when they're attending the conference or something like that. And that gives exposure. There's nothing like having people face-to-face uh, -face with your congregation uh, to actually stir people and, and motivate people's hearts uh, for mission. So maintaining an atmosphere of world mission in church is something that actually I find really builds prayer uh, for world mission. And so the fifth point would be really that um, as local churches, local churches need to maintain a focus uh, on the individual or the families uh, that they've sent out that have gone overseas uh, to take the gospel. And I think there's a number of practical ways, again, that you can help that. The first is by a very real public sending out. Uh, you remember in Acts 13 that when Paul and Barnabas were sent on their first apostolic mission, it talks about how the church in Antioch prayed and fasted, they prophesied, they laid hands on them. Uh, they made something of that sending out, and I, I think that's really important uh, that that's done. But not only the sending out, but also the receiving back. And again, with Paul in Acts 14, 27, Paul and Barnabas, when they'd been on their first missionary journey, came back again. Uh, to Antioch, and they just shared and reported what God had done through them uh, on that missionary journey. And uh, I believe that's important too, that when folk uh, come back, whether they come back for a break or whether they come back after being out there for many years, uh, that the church is able to celebrate the good things that God has done for them. And that's another way of just keeping uh, individuals and families before the church uh, obviously, keeping up-to-date news that's filtered through to the church, newsletters uh, that are appropriate and relevant, understandable, um, and even sometimes live link-ups. We often do that at, at City Church. Uh, we arrange a time with our folks overseas 
And then uh, with all the trouble we've had with technology tonight, but very often uh, we eventually get there and technology works uh, for us in the same way as it's done tonight. And it's great to be in a service where we're, we're talking with folk that are actually working and living overseas. And that, again, has a real impact uh, upon, upon folk. Another way is uh, actually uh, for you to actually profile um, those that are working overseas or in different cross-cultural situations uh, in your new members group. Most churches have a kind of joining the church or a new members group. And uh, that's another way to just inform people about those that are out in the world and what they're doing and how they can be prayed for. And uh, also it works the other way around. I know when our folks come home from overseas, uh, we uh, introduce them. We have a meeting, uh, a social meeting for them with all the people that have joined the church uh, since they were last back here in the UK. And so it works both ways uh, in that uh, uh, to do that. Um, Mike Betts, um, who um, leads Relational Mission, of which uh, I'm a part, um, is good friends with uh, Paul McConaughey of 3DM might know Paul McConaughey. He uh, used to be with Mike Breen in Sheffield. He's now over in the States leading 3DM there. And uh, he came to our Relational Mission Conference uh, recently. And while he was there, he was talking with Mike. And uh, one of the things that Paul said to Mike about uh, the churches that are related together in Relational Mission was that there was not enough air cover. And when there's not enough air cover, that leaves the ground troops vulnerable to enemy attack. And he was saying that because uh, in our particular family of churches, we have more church plants uh, than we do actual established churches. Um, but actually, they're, they're spread very thinly. And Paul was saying that, you know, if you're really going to succeed with your church plants and really get them uh, established, uh, then you must ensure that people are really praying for them on a regular basis and really um, uh, involved in prayer warfare uh, for them. I guess uh, it's interesting. We, we had a guy with us recently called Bill Norton uh, from the USA. He's uh, very involved around the world, uh, seeing some amazing miracles, uh, raising of the dead, and uh, seeing uh, wonderful revival in, in lots of different countries. Uh, but one of the things that uh, he said on his visit over here was that uh, he reckons on his opinion anyway that about 80% of those uh, who actually go out to serve in the Middle East uh, come back prematurely. And uh, he puts that down to the fact that often uh, there's not enough folk praying for them and uh, being with them uh, in the spiritual battles that they're involved in from the home base. I guess a lovely illustration of, um, of uh, that praying comes in the Old Testament uh, with Moses. You remember when uh, they were coming out of Egypt on the way to the Promised Land, they fought a battle with the Amalekites. And you remember that Joshua uh, was sent down into the valley to fight the Amalekites and Moses uh, went up onto the hilltop and uh, he had the staff of God and he, he prayed for the victory. And if you remember the story that uh, whenever his hands were raised, uh, then Joshua uh, succeeded in the battle. When his hands started to dip down, um, then the Amalekites uh, were, were winning. And so Aaron and Hur um, stand beside him, holding his hands up uh, until the battle is actually won. And I guess that's a, just a good little picture of what it means, really, of what as local churches uh, we should be doing in terms of, of battling uh, away together. Um, just another illustration, actually, from near a home. I uh, don't know how many of you 
may have read the uh, biography of James Outram Fraser. Uh, he lived from 1886 to 1938. And uh, his biography, uh, you can read in a book called Mountain Rain. He was a missionary to China, uh, worked for the China Inland Mission in the early part of the 20th century. And he landed in China uh, when he was just aged 22, and he died at the age of 52 from cerebral malaria. He pioneered work amongst the Lusu people, which is in southwestern China. But uh, when he first went out, he saw no fruit whatsoever uh, for the first six years. Just nobody wanted to know. It was just a really hard graft. And then after six years, there was a, a four-month period when over 600 people uh, came to Christ in those four months. And that represented something like uh, 120 uh, family units. And that was followed by an amazing turning to God, uh, which was the result of indigenous evangelism and church planting. Uh, for one of the things that James Frazier did uh, was that he actually taught the indigenous population, that the nationals, uh, how to evangelize and how to plant churches. And it was then that then took things on and really spread uh, the gospel. But the reason I'm attending this is, is actually because the key uh, James Fraser puts down to his success and the fruit that he saw at God's hand was really at a prayer group uh, that was started by his mother uh, back here in Letchworth uh, in the UK. And I'll just read you just a little bit of one of the things he wrote to his mother and to the group that used to pray together. And, and he said this to them. He says, I will not labor the point. You will see from what I'm saying that I'm not asking you just to give help in prayer as a sort of sideline, but I'm trying to roll the main responsibility of this prayer warfare on you. I want you to take the burden of these people upon your shoulders. I want you to wrestle with God for them. And it seems that they really took that up and uh, they spent a lot of time in prayer warfare. And uh, when we come up to today, it's reckoned there's something like 300,000 uh, Lesu Christians in China and thousands more in Myanmar and in Thailand. So a great story there, really. Of, again, people really getting behind those uh, that are out uh, sharing their faith and sharing Jesus uh, with people around the world by getting behind them uh, in prayer. Well, let me leave the, um, the local church there in that sense. Uh, I, I know that we're all part of local churches, and I, I just wanted to really try and encourage you and say, really, the local church is, is such a key player uh, if we are to see success and fruit uh, in, in mission and see the gospel spreading worldwide. But I want to um, just finish this kind of talking point, really, with uh, just some practical advice um, uh, for any of you that are working cross-culturally, uh, are thinking of going out to serve God in other nations. And uh, just want to make, uh, again, just five statements, uh, really, uh, for you too. The first is, never be afraid to ask for prayer. Uh, in Ephesians 6, uh, verses 19 and 20, uh, Paul says, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will be fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Beginning Colossians 4, verses 2 to 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of the, 
of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then just one third last scripture, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I don't know about you, but I really love Paul's realism. Uh, Paul understands so clearly that he's in the midst of a spiritual battle as he uh, works out his apostolic ministry that God has given to him to the Gentiles. And he also understands the priority of the proclamation and the communication uh, of the gospel. And as we saw in those illustrations, he's always asking that they would pray uh, that he might be effective uh, in his sharing of the gospel and his proclamation of the gospel. But the other thing that comes across, not just in those three scriptures, but I, I could have used many in the New Testament, that he also understands that he couldn't fulfill his calling without the help of others and without the prayers of others. And so the New Testament uh, is, is all the way through. You see Paul constantly asking for prayer again and again and again. And so I would encourage you, uh, never be afraid to ask for prayer. Don't think, well, you know, everyone's so busy. Uh, you know, how can they add me to the list? How can they give time to me? No, you need to ask for prayer. Never be afraid to do that. And then secondly, can I say never be afraid uh, to ask God for dedicated prayer warriors? Now, you might say to me, well, Mike, you were just saying a moment ago, um, that the responsibility for praying for those who are working in mission is actually the responsibility of everyone in the local church. And that's absolutely right. But I do believe that God uh, lays a burden and uh, a special heart on some people's uh, hearts to, to really pray in a more uh, intense, can I say, uh, a more uh, structured way uh, for those that are serving over, overseas. And uh, in Colossians 4, verse 12, when uh, Paul writes uh, back to the church, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Notice what Paul says of Epaphras, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. And I do believe there are some folk that uh, God calls to really wrestle in prayer, perhaps more than others. And you'll notice in that, that verse that I read to you there that pray, prayer is both a struggle and is also hard work. Epaphras is working hard for you. What's he doing? He's praying for you and he constantly prays for you. He wrestles for you uh, in prayer. Uh, just to, if I may be permitted just to give a, a, a personal example, um, right since the beginning of New Frontiers, uh, I've had two very close uh, apostolic friends and uh, I pray for them twice a week and uh, I always get their prayer letters, their itinerary, where they're off to next, what churches they're visiting, uh, that kind of thing. And, and so I pray for them uh, twice uh, a week and I've done that now for more years than I, I can remember. Uh, because I feel a particular burden. It's not that I haven't got friends with other apostolic men and women uh, around the world, uh, friends around the world, but uh, they're two particular men uh, that God has laid upon my heart that I pray for regularly. And I'm really thankful, too, for uh, some people within my own church here 
uh, that pray more intensely for me in terms of my own ministry and what I'm doing in my travels and all that kind of thing. And that's a great blessing. So ask God uh, for some key prayer warriors uh, that will stand with you, be more intense, more dedicated, more devoted uh, to just praying uh, for you. And then thirdly, never let prayer uh, become an optional extra in your life. Now, we would normally, I suppose, say that, well, that's a given. You know, why do you need to say that? But I know how easy it is from my own life uh, to be so busy that actually prayer really gets demoted uh, in terms of priorities. And uh, again, someone has said the strength of our ministry comes from the secret place. And if we're really to be fruitful, I do believe that we need to spend time with God. Uh, we need to be with him and we need to ensure that that has a priority uh, within our life and experience uh, Sometimes we talk about things like a quiet time. For some of us, it's more a noisy time when we sing and, and dance and so forth. But uh, having a time with God each day, uh, waiting on him, reading his word and uh, talking with him uh, is such an important part of our Christian discipleship and walk. Uh, you remember it says of the Lord Jesus that uh, in Mark 1.36 that he got up early when it was still dark to pray. Uh, Matthew says in Matthew 14.23, that uh, Jesus went up a mountainside alone to pray. Uh, Luke in uh, chapter 5, verse 16 says that Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place to pray. And again in Luke in chapter 6, verse 12, uh, it says that Jesus prayed all night. Uh, the whole of Jesus' life was uh, embedded in prayer. And he, he particularly took time out, time away even from his disciples to be alone with his father. And it was so much a part of his life. And if we are, are true followers of Jesus, then we need to walk in his footsteps and uh, we need to follow his example. Remember, it wasn't only his example, but Jesus often taught about the importance of prayer in his teaching and his parables, like the parable of the persistent woman. Uh, and it says that Jesus told that parable in order that the disciples might learn that they were always to pray and not to give up. That theme, of course, is also taken up by the Apostle Paul uh, when he's teaching the church. And so, again, in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 18, in the context, again, of him teaching about spiritual warfare, uh, he ends that kind of warfare passage by saying, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Just, just one thing just to add in, that uh, many folk that are out, uh, involved in, in spiritual warfare and mission find very much the gift of tongues as a, a very useful uh, gift from God that they have and that they use constantly. There are many occasions when uh, perhaps they're in situations when they really don't know how to pray, what to pray for, and uh, often will spend time praying in tongues and uh, find that as they do that, uh, they often see breakthroughs and they often see God uh, giving wisdom and opening ways up for them. So it's so important that we do that. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so Paul, again, just like Jesus, encouraging us to constantly and persistently uh, pray, persevere uh, in prayer. And then in Colossians 4, verse 2, that we read a moment ago, Paul starts there, you remember, by saying, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 
And uh, you might know that that word devote uh, is the strongest word uh, in the New Testament uh, for what I guess we would call commitment. It means to, to persist in adherence to a thing, to be intently engaged in something, to be uh, attend to something constantly, to persist obstinately. Uh, that's what the word devote means. And Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be obstinate in prayer. So prayer is definitely not an optional extra. Uh, as Bill Norton says, you either pray, P-R-A-Y, or you become prey, P-R-E-Y. And I think that's very, very true. Uh, if we don't give ourselves to prayer, we make ourselves vulnerable. Then the next thing, uh, can I say, never underestimate the power of your prayers. This is really important to get hold of, and I think is a key that I've seen in different settings uh, around the world. Uh, the fact that believers really trust in that their prayers do make a difference. And uh, you remember that passage in James uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 13 to 18, where it talks about the importance of the prayer of faith, faith being be trust that carries the implication of actions based on that trust um, will follow. And uh, let me just read you a few sentences uh, out of that passage. Uh, James says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. But just a couple of things out of that passage. It says, firstly, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And I think by that, it means that Elijah was both courageous and he was cowardly. And most of us are like that. We have that within us, uh, that kind of conflict of those two things. He was courageous. You think about his uh, battle with uh, Prophet Sabal uh, on Mount Carmel, where he took on the whole nation. Uh, incredible courage uh, to stand up and, and his whole declaration, it will not rain except by my word, uh, was courageous. And yet, after that great victory, after they, he defeats the prophets of Baal, you remember um, that Jezebel uh, wants to cut his head off and uh, wants to get hold of him. And so he runs away. So one minute he's a lion and the next minute he's a mouse scurrying uh, away into the shadows. He was a man just like us. And yet his prayers were powerful and effective. It says he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And uh, the, the tenor of that is he prayed constantly day after day after day. The same phrase actually is used in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, when uh, after the Lord Jesus uh, had been resurrected and then ascended back to heaven, you remember that the disciples returned, uh, a whole crowd of them did to return to the upper room. And it says they all joined together constantly in prayer. That's the same word that talks about Elijah praying day after day. They, the disciples, pray constantly day after day. And uh, an accurate way to express that would be that they prayed in the place of prayer. It's almost like they inhabited, they constantly dwelled and occupied the place of prayer. So uh, I want to do uh, get the picture. Uh, Elijah continued to pray until the answer came and it stopped raining. But that's the other side of that story because when he went uh, uh, after that victory, remember he goes to Mount Carmel and Elijah prays again and uh, heavy rain falls on the land. 
And he prays because God, in the story, it tells us, had spoken to him that he was going to send rain on the land. And Elijah so believed God's word that he spoke that word to Ahab, told Ahab to leave where he was and to get down because the rain was coming. But if you know the story, he, he prays and sends his servant to look out towards the sea. And then each time his servant goes, he looks, he can't see anything. And he goes, Elijah tells him, no, go back again. And he goes back again, no, nothing there, go back again. And uh, seven times he goes until on the seventh time, uh, the seven sees uh, a little cloud arising from the sea about the size of a man's hand. And you know that that is some followed after that with a whole deluge uh, of rain. And that's a, a picture, seven in, the, in scripture is often a, a picture of perfection or persistence. And, uh, and so this uh, going back seven times is a picture of this sense of persistence that we need to have when we're praying. But I, I, think, I wonder, have you ever noticed the prayer position uh, that Elijah took? It tells us that when Elijah prayed, he put his head between his knees. That was actually the Hebrew birthing position for a woman. Uh, when a woman was giving birth, that's what she would do. She'd put her head uh, between her knees. And so there's this sense of, that when Elijah's praying and sending his servant back these seven times, it's like he's birthing something. Uh, but that something is birthing something that God has revealed to him. He's not being presumptuous. God has actually told him something. And he's trusting in what God has said. And he's keeping, keeping on praying until he sees that come through. And so it's important for us uh, to do so James says the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it's working. Or the NLV puts it, it's powerful and effective. And uh, we need to understand that as we're praying, our prayers are working. They're active, they're dynamic and powerful. And something is happening uh, in the unseen realm. And I just want to finish off by just reminding you about Daniel. I'd like to look this up afterwards in Daniel 9, 22 and 23. Um, Daniel's after a season of prayer. Uh, it says, Daniel, I, uh, that the angel Gabriel came to him and says to him, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Notice Gabriel says, from the first time that you prayed, you were heard, but there's been a delay in the answer coming. And similarly, in the next chapter, in chapter 10, verses 12 to 14, uh, you, you find that Daniel has a revelation and a vision and he sets himself to pray and fast for understanding of that vision. And again, an angel comes to him and says to him, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself by prayer and fasting before your God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So here again is Daniel. His prayers are heard straight away, and yet he's not aware of this spiritual battle uh, that's going on in heavenly places, but God comes and uh, answers that. And as we're running out of time, the last thing, uh, my last number for you is this. Never forget, life is not a battle like a battle. It is a battle. Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We'll all have trouble and distress, oppression, tribulation, pressure. In fact, Paul says to Timothy, yeah, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
will be persecuted. And that's why Paul says that they are to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. We rejoice that Jesus won the victory through his death and resurrection, but we have to enforce that victory. We can pray defensively for protection, for deliverance, for overcoming temptation. We can pray offensively for God's kingdom to come, for blessings to be poured out and for the gospel to bear fruit. Um, have you had any help, uh, helpful suggestions for a church or a church plant that might want to start praying for the nations but have no history in this? That's a really great question. <laughs> yeah, I've got some uh, advice um, uh, for you. There are lots of ways to start. I think the important thing uh, with this question is actually to start small. Don't try and do something big uh, all in one go. But um, gathering folk together um, is really important. Um, I don't know how specific you want me to be here, but I can. Um, one of the things I think uh, when you, you do gather for prayer um, is that you need to be visual. Um, there are lots of helps these days uh, for things around the world. There's a, a great resource called Operation World, which you can either get in book form or on DVD and, uh, and even online now. And that will give you profiles of different countries if that's the way that you want to start. If you've not got anybody who's actually out there, um, just want to start praying for the nations, you can work through that. Um, there's a good website as well that does small videos of about 10 minutes um, that you can get hold of. And it, it just gives you a, an outline of the country, what's going on spiritually there. And again, gives you one or two things to pray for. So I would say start small and try and use visuals if you can. Um, and try and find out, you know, about that nation. But one of the things that I often suggest to folk is, well, look on your family of churches website, see where the churches are, and uh, and then start to learn something about them, even get in touch with them uh, to learn a little bit of their history and what's going on with them and ask them if they've got any prayer requests, um, that sort of thing. Brilliant, really practical, very helpful. Um, this one's about, um, have you got any helpful suggestions on how we can pray for mission central to the life of the church? So perhaps a bit similar there, but you might want to just add a note on that one. Um, I said earlier on that one of the key things, if your church is really going to get involved, there must be good leadership of it. And uh, I think it's very important, um, you know, how you run uh, your times together of prayer and I think I think varieties is important so corporate prayer is good where everybody comes together and pray but praying in small groups um, at city here um, we, we often have a whole week of prayer and each night we do different things um, but uh, and you need to be creative with that um, and sometimes we intersperse our worship with prayer um, but one of the things we, we love to do is actually get news from our folks that are overseas and we feed that into the meeting. So when we know we've got a week coming up, we'll get in touch with all those that are working overseas. We'll ask for their, their prayer record, you know, uh, what they want uh, prayer for, and then we'll feed that into the meeting. Um, one of the things we do, just to illustrate from one of our couples, is that um, uh, when they have prayer requests, which we then pass around the church, uh, they colour code them. And so green, uh, green is prayer answered, red is prayer, uh, things still not answered. And when they do that on a monthly basis, 
And so that encourages prayer because when people get hold of it, they can see the things they've been praying for that have been answered and they can see yeah. other things that are coming on for that. And that's, that's another way of uh, encouraging prayer. Brilliant. Um, and this again feeds into this question. How do you keep it fresh when you're asking for prayer for the same things over and over? Obviously, you've talked about getting fresh information, uh, but anything else you want to add on that? I think sometimes uh, you need to just stop a moment and just ask the question about, you know, this thing that we're praying for. Yeah, has God really spoken about this? Sometimes to seek God for a prophetic way or prophetic insight that may just open up a different way. Uh, sometimes we need just uh, uh, prayer is a two way thing. Uh, obviously, it's not just us talking to God, but it's God talking to us. And so sometimes when you've got something um, that you're praying for again and again and again, because it doesn't seem that, you know, uh, prayers, uh, the answer's coming yet. It may be good just to wait on God and to see, you know, ask God to speak into that situation and to give you guidance of what you should be praying for. And sometimes into that, you, you find that God will give you something that actually is outside the box, if I could call it in that way. It's not part of the information that you have, but it's God showing you something. And sometimes that's a key to actually the breakthrough. Or it may be that we've just got to persevere through. And, um, and to do that can sometimes be hard. But that's where the, the wrestling that we talked about with Epaphras comes from. Uh, sometimes it, it really is hard work. Uh, that you give yourself to again and again. But try and be creative about how you pray, intersperse it with worship. Sometimes we go on prayer walks together. Uh, you can pray, you know, as you walk around together. You can have a small group in your home. Use variety. That's the way to keep the momentum going, I believe. Brilliant. And I think you've also answered this question, uh, which came from Abby. How can we make prayer a conversation rather than just telling God things. So, Abby, if, if, if that's not to answer that one, please uh, just, <laughs> a bit of a, just, just message me again. Um, now, um, this is, uh, someone said, this is very challenging talk, which is great to have some feedback like that, but they're wanting to know, do you have a designated prayer group in your church um, supporting miss missionaries? And if not, do you think that would be helpful if you had a, a small group of people doing that? Yeah, that's that's very good. But that's, I suppose, what I was talking about in terms of some that are more prayer warriors. I, my, my heart burden would be to get as many folk in the church praying as possible. Um, but it's important, actually, that there are those. And so within our own group, um, our own church, we have WhatsApp groups, uh, which the folks overseas are uh, into. And so it's a it's a, it's a private group in. And they will be the people that actually receive the more urgent uh, prayer calls uh, on yeah. a kind of daily or weekly basis. And so, yes, we have small groups like that. And very often we'll, uh, we'll gather those together as well. So we might have a lunch together of those folk that are part of that WhatsApp group. And we will then pray for, for the issues that, that, that are there. Um, so, yeah, it, I think it's really good to have um, groups that are, are specifically praying, particularly for urgent things that come up. Uh, you yeah. can't always get right around the church. So when you've got a designated group, it's really helpful to have that. And things like WhatsApp are really helpful these days because you can get immediate contact yeah. and, and see how things are going. So that encourages you. So I'd say yes, encourage. But um, don't let them be, you know, just, just bikinis out here <laughs> and let them do their thing over there and the whole church goes on down, down the mainstream here and they're just a little side group over here. It's got to be that, they're, uh, you know, the whole church is involved, but these are additional parts of it. 
Yeah, superb. Um, I love a WhatsApp group, honestly. Um, linking with friends of ours in Zambia, it is astounding how real-time that those connections can be yes. and how helpful they can be. Um, so you're talking about specific prayer warriors and prayer warfare. And um, so just, you know, we've got this question. How can we encourage people in our churches today to take up prayer warfare in a similar way to your example from Mountain Rack. Um, and we also had another question, which was basically, you talk about prayer warfare. Can you just unpack that a little bit more so those can be together? Okay. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's important um, uh, to normalise, if I put it this way, prayer, prayer warfare and spiritual warfare, because um, there's lots of stuff that's written about it. But really... Um, you remember Jesus said, you know, um, uh, you know, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And I think one of the most effective um, parts of uh, spiritual warfare actually is the planting of churches, of communities of God's people. And so if you think that that's, that's what warfare is about, it's about God's kingdom going forth, then everything flows from that. And so if we're talking about prayer warfare, we're talking about all the things that go on in our everyday life um, because we're all involved in, in prayer warfare. And so when we're looking at, like Paul is talking about, you know, that I might be effective in proclaiming the gospel, that's one of the things that we can pray for our friends for, that, you know, when they have opportunities, we could pray for opportunities. Uh, we could pray that they will be effective in sharing their faith. Sometimes we have to pray for their protection, um, you know, not just on a, on a spiritual vein, you know, from, uh, you know, from Satan and demonic powers, but just the normal everyday things of life. Um, you know, more missionaries are killed in road accidents than anything else. Did you know that? No, so more, more so. people are more people are taken out uh, from serving God overseas by road accidents. So actually praying for people's safety on the roads when you know they're journeying or the towns that they're living in, all those things I will put under that umbrella of uh, prayer warfare. Um, it's, it's all to do with building God's kingdom and seeing that extended. And so, you know, praying for your friends that they will, um, God will lead them out of temptation, deliver them from evil. If you think of the Lord's Prayer again, it's a good little um it's got a little cameo um, to use when you think, well, what shall I pray for? Well, look at the things that Jesus told us to pray for and then see how they apply to the situations that you're, you're, play, uh, you're praying for. So that's a quick answer. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Really brilliant. Now, somebody's asked, what was the verse you used when you talked about prayer warriors? Can you, can you uh, just recall what that was? Yeah, sure. That's, uh, that's Paul with um, Colossians. Let me just find it for you. Um, yeah, Colossians 4, verse 12, uh, where it talks about Epaphras always wrestling in prayer for you. He's working hard for you. That the one? Yeah, brilliant. That's really helpful. Um, and, and then in terms of what Paul's saying, someone's asking, and you may have just kind of covered this, but what does, what does Paul mean when he says pray at all times? Well, I think, um, I mean, this is one of the things that um, I, I've loved since I, I became a Christian when I was 10. And uh, the Lord broke into my life then when I was still a child. And um, one of the things that I found quite early on uh, was the blessing of just bringing God into my whole everyday life. I was, um, believe it now, don't look at me. Uh, I used to be very sporty. So I used to play football and basketball and all sorts of things. And uh, I can remember on the football pitch, you know, just talking, you know, to the Lord about how the game was going, you know, and all this kind of thing. And I, I just brought God into my everyday life. And I think that's what Paul means when he says pray constantly. 
um, that actually we, we should involve God in every aspect of our life. And somebody with uh, one of your questions said, Elm was talked about, isn't prayer conversation? And it is. So that even though in my life now I have dedicated times of prayer, when I really I put time aside uh, to pray, um, I would say that I've, I've tried to get a discipline in my life where I'm constantly talking with God about yeah. everyday things. And so when I think it says pray constantly, it's saying your, your whole life, really, it should be a natural walk for you. And um, just as, you know, uh, what Paul tells us again, that we are to keep in step with the spirit. You know, it should be something that is a natural part of our life and experience. Now, we might have to grow into that um, because we've already said that prayer is a hard thing. Um, but I think trying to cultivate that in your everyday life, just bringing God into every aspect of what you're doing, um, it means that, you know, prayer is not something that, you know, uh, is alien to you. It's part of your DNA. Yeah, superb. Um, and then on a personal note, because you, you've obviously shared some of your testimony, which is inspiring, and I shall tell my son, who likes to play football, that that's a good thing, um, to pray to win. Um, but um, when you, you talked about the fact that you pray for certain people. Do you have, on you know, for different, you know, say twice a week you do that, do you have lists of people? Like, how do you do it systematically? Do you have, like, on a Monday I'm going to pray for this person? And what do you like to do? Yeah, and I said that's a very good question. Um, yes, I do. Um, and, my, uh, and my wife and I, we have a, a list of people that we pray for every day when we uh, we have a time of um, uh, we just read some scripture together and uh, and we pray together. And as well as, you know, covering the family and, and just normal things that are happening, what's happening that day. We do have a list of people that we pray for. Um, both within the church and outside. And again, I've done that since I was 14. Um, that's when I started having lists <laughs> um, that I put down. And uh, I found that really helpful for me. It, it's just a good reminder um, of faith because we often say for each other, oh, I'll pray for you. And then we yeah. never do. Yeah. And so I found it a real helpful sort of a job. Now, the other thing is not to be legalistic about it, you know. So, you know, if on my list, you know, I've got somebody to pray for on Wednesday and I forget about them or, you know, something's happened and I haven't got time, you know, in that sense to pray that day. OK, next day. It, it's fine. You know, don't make it a law, you know, on yourself, but try and make it become. But I think it's a really, really, really helpful for us to. Yeah, you know, list down and, and sometimes even to write down the things that we're praying. I, I've got a list of um, people in my church at the moment that are sick, that are not healed. And so I try and pray regularly for them um, that their healing will come. And uh, so we see some healed, others we don't. Sometimes we have to battle on with others. So I, I keep a little list of those. Yeah, really helpful because the practical stuff is where we bed it in. So um, have you got any books or or other tools? I mean, you talked about the online, the, the Operation One. Um, you mentioned Operation it. World. Operation <laughs> World. Yeah. There's a great. Actually, I would say there's there's a great yeah. children's one that goes with that as well for kids, uh, which is really great. And in fact, I when I'm talking to folk about studying up prayer, and I always say to them, get the kids one first because uh, it's just great. I, I like it better than the adults one. <laughs> Is that is that on the same web? You can get that through the same website. Yeah, you? you can get that through Operation World. Yeah, it's probably be advertised on that their, their, their one as well. But that's a good one. Sorry, lost your question now. No, no, that's good. <laughs> really good. Start with the kids one. That's where I'm at. Um, yeah. What about books? You know, give oh, us a a good top well, couple of books. Well, uh, Tim Keller, um, a couple of years ago now, wrote on prayer. 
and that's really, really helpful. Um, another, uh, it's just called prayer. Um, that, that's got, you know, quite a tone, but it, it's good. It comes in from all different aspects, talks about, uh, you know, why we pray, what we should pray. Very helpful. Um, and the other one um, is probably um, Don Carson's. Um, I've got it down somewhere. Let me see if I can find it. I'm sure I wrote it down earlier on. Just looking for it quickly. Oh, there it is. Yeah, a call. It's, it's called a, a call to spiritual reformation. A call to spiritual reformation by Don Carson, and it's looking at all the prayers that Paul prayed in the New Testament. So it goes through all. And and uh, one of the things he says is, if we learn to pray with Paul, we will learn to pray for others. And I think that's very true. And. If it had time tonight, I would have, you know, kind of read one or two of them to you because they're good examples of how to pray and what to pray for. And um, and you can really it will really change your prayer life. So those two probably Tim Keller's prayer, Don Cancer's call to spiritual reformation uh, are really helpful ones. Yes. But there's lots of good, good books on prayer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Final question then to, to finish with this, then give us one thing. What do you know now that you would love to have known about prayer and mission a number of years ago? I would say how powerful prayer is. Um, I think when you're a young Christian, you, you know you should pray. You know, that's almost expected of you. But I think, um, you know, being a slightly older guy now um, and a grandfather, um, it's, it's through the years that I've started to see how powerful prayer is, the way it transforms people, the way it transforms nations. Um, it's wonderful to see that. And so the James thing that I was talking about earlier, I think I would have loved to have um, really grasped that. Um, and one of the things I love about uh, working in different settings is, and my home church here, which is very multicultural, um, is I love um, some of the Africans uh, my African brothers and South American brothers, um, to hear them pray is just wonderful because they really believe in the power of prayer. And you can tell that when they're praying, they have a real confidence in God that they're being heard and that God is actually at work. And uh, and that's why I think we don't pray as much as we, we do because we're not convinced that this is a powerful weapon that God has given to us. But I've seen that demonstrated more and more as I've got older and, uh, and seeing what God has done in answer to prayer. Um, and that's really wonderful. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Mike said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 92. See you next time.